Now, beloved, open with me to 2 Chronicles chapter 2, verse 7. Might find it a bit of a surprising scripture to turn to with a sermon that will relate and connect with Father's Day. But uh, I'm excited about it. I think it reveals something to us. Let me just turn the recorder on. We will be doing a little bit of page turning at one point, not too far, back to First Chronicles and things. Be ready for that, please. But mostly I'll, mostly I'll be quoting scriptures for you. Hear now the word of the Lord, Second Chronicles chapter 2, verse 7. Second Chronicles chapter 2, verse 7. And as I'll explain in the sermon, this is King Solomon speaking, and he's referring to David in the end of the verse. Second Chronicles 2, verse 7. Send me now, therefore, a man cunning to work in gold and in silver and in brass and in iron and in purple and crimson and blue, and that can skill to grave with the cunning men that are with me in Judah and in Jerusalem, whom David, my father, did provide. Let me read that once more as it is brief. We'll look at parts of it. Send me now, therefore, a man cunning to work in gold and in silver and in brass and in iron and in purple and crimson and blue, and that can skill to grave with the cunning men that are with me in Judah and in Jerusalem, whom David, my father, did provide. We're going to look at the context a little bit. We're going to get a sense of what Solomon's talking about in the connection. But the reason we're here this evening, as it's also Father's Day, is this last phrase, whom David my father did provide. Whom David my father did provide. Well, I did a Mother's Day sermon in May, so I feel obliged to do a Father's Day sermon today. Uh, it's not the norm. I always say, don't get used to it. I don't like, I don't feel obliged. And I make a habit of usually not following what's known as the liturgical calendar. Uh, but also, certainly, therefore, not following uh, other calendars and have that imposed upon where we are in Scripture. But at times, it's appropriate. Certainly, Scriptures on motherhood and fatherhood are appropriate and, and uh, have the freedom to do that with, with sessions oversight. Uh, I did the same in 2021. Uh, I probably will take a break from this for a number of years now. So you can go back on Sermon Audio if you like. And there's a sermon on motherhood in 2021 and a sermon on fatherhood in 2021 on Mother's Day and Father's Day. This being Father's Day tonight, we're going to consider what it is to be a father. Uh, it's going to be looking at this verse as a kind of a jumping point. Uh, we're going to look at some of its context for its importance. But we'll, we'll be thinking beyond that. We're going to be thinking about God our Father and the example that's given to us in Scripture, and particularly thinking about God our Father. And uh, it occurs to me to share, uh, I know you know, um, my wife Fernanda lost her father at 11 years old. And she just said to me recently how important it is. I think we were talking about the sermon last week with burnout and health and things uh, to try to preserve, in, in our family's case, my health and longevity as the Lord would see fit in providence. Um, because, you know, thinking especially of our younger children and especially our youngest daughter, uh, she just mentioned that um, it's a huge void. It's a huge void uh, for a father to be missing. And uh, we want to think about that and, and, and whatever our own situations may be, that the Lord God fills that void. He is our father. But we'll get some sense of what it is to be a father, thinking of God the father in particular, as we look at what Solomon's saying here to begin with about his father, David. Solomon begins to build the house of God. Now we're talking about the temple, the first and the grand temple, not the tabernacle, but the first temple. Solomon begins to build the house of God with wise men who are already in place because his father David had prepared them to be ready to do so for his son, for God's glory. 
That's what I emphasize and give to you as the text this evening. Uh, the main point here, Solomon begins to build the house of God with wise men who are already in place. Because his father David had prepared them to be ready to do so for his son, for God's glory. And I think that as we unpack that a little bit with other things, we think about what it is to be a father tonight. I think that's a profound thing uh, for we men to consider as, as fathers. And I've been meditating on what does it mean to be a dad to me? What's the main thing to be a dad, to be a father from Scripture? And I submit to you, although admittedly, broadly and, and rather loosely, but I think I can make the case for it tonight, at least to give us some things to focus on. I think it means to provide. To be a father is to provide. It is to be one who provides for our family. But particularly to be a father is to be a man. And let me emphasize man who provides for our sons and daughters. And especially for their faith in the future. And that is particularly what we see in our text tonight. Like David to Solomon. Fathers provide for their children. That's the message for you this evening. We want to think about that in terms of we fathers and how we are to uh, take care of and care for our children. We think about that also, of course, in terms of God, our father, and remembering he cares for us and takes care of us. I think some of you have been around or you've heard me talk about this. I love to feed my fish. About a year ago, we went to the San Diego not the parade. I'm out of it right now. San Diego Fair, right? Okay, thanks for the nods. <laughs> and uh, we got suckered into the free fishbowl thing at the end of the night. Not only that, oh, we really got suckered in because it was so late at night because that's how the Van Locos tend to roll, that they were trying to get rid of them and we didn't even have to play the game or spend a dime. Go home with these free fish, like, woo -hoo! And of course, uh, we had these little things and we learned quickly as we go to the pet store. I'm sure that pet companies invest in these free fish because the next thing you know oh man oh man was I investing in the proper tank and you know all the things that go with it and oh boy but I really enjoy it I really love having fish and uh, I've kind of joked they're almost like my dogs you know I, I mean we have a dog and my, our bunny's pretty similar and that experience is similar as well but I come home and uh, you know I, I'm pretty much the one that feeds them I made sure I said I would do that with the rabbit too although the kids bail me out sometimes mom bails me out but I said if we're going to get them because I want them I'll, I'll take care of them and I, I just love to come to the fish now the bait is a little bit more subdued but he'll eventually come up and boom you know get that but the other fish, we've got a mix of uh, freshwater fish. And I just love to sprinkle there with food. But just coming near the aquarium, it's like, oh, oh, dad's here, dad's here, you know. I mean, they're not, I don't hear any voices, don't worry, you know. But it just seems like that, you know. They just, it's like they're little puppies coming up to me. Oh, you're here, thank you so much. At, at least what I think they recognize is I'm the guy that feeds them, <laughs> you know. And they all get so excited. And before I even sprinkle it, boy, the tetras are like torpedoes. And, you know, the mollies eat a little differently. And the, uh, the garami is kind of my favorite, but I just love the feeling of they rely on me and I love to provide for them and I love to watch them swim about neat. Now, I don't think they're thinking about me at all after the food's in the water, but I'm thinking of them and I just kind of like to sit there and just watch them, watch them enjoy eating. And it's just satisfying to provide for them. It's such a simple thing. And I've been thinking a lot about it. I, th I wonder, I, I think that uh, it pleases God to provide similarly for all. I think there's just an aspect of that, that fatherhood, that, that just providing for those under us. Um, it's, a, it's a beautiful thing. I, I think I shared with you in a video I watched a while ago, there was a concern um, 
a, a wife was concerned about her new husband that he might go off to war and she's appealing to the, the older brother. Their father had died. His, his father, he runs the place, has raised the place, but this is um, not his son, but he lives in the house as an, as a, an intern, a, an apprentice under him. And I was struck. It actually made me weep when he said, because I think it hits at this instinct that fathers should have and live out. He said, you don't need to worry. Anyone under my house will be cared for. Anyone under my roof is cared for. And he just had that fatherly instinct, even though he wasn't technically the father. And he had that sense of uh, understanding about himself, purpose of providing for those who rely on him. And that's proclaimed in great detail in Psalm 104, we know. God provides for all the animals. But he particularly, it's, the psalm says he provides for all mankind. So much of being a father is providing for the basic needs of our children. Shelter, food, safety. You're, you're going to notice I'm not going to talk a whole lot about money. I'm not going to talk a whole lot about what we might leave in our state. It's not that it doesn't relate. I think there are some proverbs that can touch on that. But I don't think it's the main thing of providing. I'm going to emphasize what I think is emphasized in scriptures about providing. And as I'll get to it later, I think the main thing we want to say is it's providing ourself, our person, our presence. Especially Christians should recognize where it's coming from. And, and I don't mean to be proclaiming. I want to make this disclaimer. We're not talking about a common fatherhood of all people or a common brotherhood. The only people who have God as their father are those who have him through Christ and adoption. And we recognize a common creator and provider for all the world, Psalm 104. But we are responding to him as our father. And there is a disposition of a father towards his children that's different. James 1.17 is what we want to recognize as we think about this tonight. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights. And we want to recognize that and we want to pause and thank God for providing along the way and not miss yeah, you know, like the nine, is it, of the ten lepers? They don't come back to thank Jesus. We want to recognize everything's coming from God's providing for us. We want to be thankful children to him in Christ. Fathers provide much more for their children with these basic blessings as blessings in that context. With God our Father as our example to follow, let us tonight consider a few ways Fathers are to provide for their children. This is not an exhaustive list, uh, but I think it's worth meditating upon together. Thinking of God as our father and what that should mean to us. And the example that should be to we men. First of all, God provides, let's not miss this. Fathers provide, let's not miss this, life itself Life itself. Now we know the mother bears us for nine months and we talked about how much that she does. But let's not forget without the father, there is no life. And without the father of heavenly lights, there's no life. We don't exist. But even physically, humanly speaking, your sex is determined by your father. You know that the woman has two X chromosomes and one meets uh, with the father's contribution. And that's an X or a Y, which determines whether the child is an XY or an XX, a boy or a girl. If I have that, I think I have it in the right order, but life itself and fathers even determine. I mean, I don't mean to say that we have anything to do about it. Voluntary. We might pray about it, but it, it, it's God, the father who determines this. But even through the father, whether you are a boy or a girl has been determined by your father's contribution. But again, life itself, Genesis one and two, 
but also, of course, eternal life from God our Father. John 3.16, God so loved the world, the Father, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Ephesians 2, 1-10 talks about we were dead in our trespasses and sins. But God raised us from the dead spiritually. He breathed life in us. He fathered us that we are born again and as his adopted children. Another way that God provides for us as father, but fathers are to provide for their children. And I think this is a big one that's missed in the church these days. But I've taken it seriously by God's grace. And I, I'm thankful that he's faithful to his promises. In three weeks, we'll see the fruits. Fathers are to provide husbands and wives for their daughters and sons. Jeremiah 29 verse 6 They're supposed to be involved They're supposed to be guiding and leading it And we can think of the example with Abraham Sending his servant to find a wife for Isaac He knows it's his duty and responsibility He knows that God has made this promise And he's going to fulfill his covenant promise through him To have many children But he doesn't think that he it doesn't have a responsibility As part of the means of that And he sends his servant out to get a wife For Rebecca Or excuse me, for Isaac so Fathers provide life They provide husbands and wives Fathers provide advice such as the whole book, can you think of it? Of Proverbs. The whole book of Proverbs is advice from a father to a son. In verse 1, Solomon notes that he is the son of David. He refers to David as his father. And then in verse 8, he writes this, My son, hear the instruction of thy father, and forsake not the law of thy mother. Children, you should expect and welcome and follow the advice of your parents. But parents, you need to remember you're supposed to give it. I think in this day, and sadly too often in the church, we think we're supposed to just wind them up and let them go and see what happens. And hope they don't bump into the too many of the wrong places. We're supposed to be holding their hand. Yes, helping them get off on their own, take off the training wheels, what have you. But we're supposed to be giving them advice. It's our job as fathers. And too many fathers are there, but they're not giving advice. They're not giving direction. I saw a program recently where you heard little kids talking. It was a fiction thing, but uh, several of them were talking about how the father wasn't there because of different reasons. And some who were were just sitting on a chair all day watching TV. But we're supposed to be involved in giving advice. My son, hear the instruction of thy father. And forsake not the law of thy mother. Verse 8 of Proverbs 1. Fathers are to provide fellowship. We think of the Trinity, first of all, and the way Jesus refers to his Father and the glory they enjoyed together before he came down in John 17. But we're also told by Jesus to pray to God as, how do we start our prayers? Matthew 6, verse 9, our Father. Now, I didn't turn there tonight because I want to be careful to, uh, about not overdoing this tonight with too many things. But you could go back to the larger catechism, and I'm, I'm pretty sure the shorter catechism. There are questions and answers about what does it mean to refer to God as our Father? And it's significant. I encourage you to go look at those answers, thinking of this sermon. But God provides fellowship. Fathers provide fellowship. This is something sorely lacking, even in many Christian homes, sadly. Fathers provide protection. John 17, verse 12. John 6, 39. Jesus prays, keep them in thy name. Talks about, I will keep them. He doesn't lose one sheep that God sent him to save, and he will raise them all up on the last day. Fathers are to provide protection. Protection from the influence of the world, especially while raising them young. You think about all that we've gone through in the first few chapters of Deuteronomy already, of the responsibility of parents, but especially fathers, to train their children to know and serve the Lord. Protect them when things may be coming at them. To, to know to stand in the gap. To get in the way. Whether it's our daughter or our son. Sometimes protecting them from themselves. 
Fathers provide counsel. Of course, John 15 to 17, God and Christ send us the Holy Spirit to counsel us. Again, fellowship relates to advice, comfort, similar to counsel. They give comfort. We're to comfort our children. Take them in our arms. Attend their wounds. Encourage and strengthen and affirm them. In the Lord's Prayer, we are to refer to our Father. Jesus refers to uh, the Father as the Holy Father, which Sinclair Ferguson says is because he wants us to know, especially as we cry out to him in distress, related also to the Lord's Prayer, that he is our Father and that he cares for us. That's from a book, Some Pastors and Teachers, which I just was able to crack open briefly uh, for my Father's Day gift for my children today, and I thank you for it. They provide counsel. Fathers provide approval and affirmation. Some children are just waiting for their father to say, well done. Remember the book we studied on affirmation Wednesday nights a while ago? We should have at least three affirmations, three to five, for every one critique or criticism. Now remember the baptism of Christ in Matthew chapter 4 and chapter 17, or we just read in Mark 9 tonight. God affirms, the Father affirms the Son, saying in front of others, This is my Son, with whom I am well pleased. And then the Mount of Transfiguration, hear him. Fathers are to be giving approval and affirmation of their sons, and not only privately. We don't want to spoil them. We don't want to. Uh, th there is a place for correction. We'll talk about those things. But there's, it's important that fathers provide approval and affirmation. Fathers provide modeling and training. Jesus taught his disciples and gave the example of washing their feet. Psalm 127 verses 3 to 4. Children are referred to as arrows in the father's quiver. What are arrows for? Shooting out with impact in the world. Well, what do you need in an arrow? It needs to be straight. It needs to be well made. You have a crooked arrow. That is not going to fly straight and hit the target. It is the father's job especially to help design and craft and make that arrow straight to shoot and fly straight. And that is in training, and that's in modeling. Again, think of the modeling in, in Deuteronomy early on. All of the example, whether you're taking them, walking along the way, getting up in the morning, going to bed, the training, the modeling, looking for examples to teach them, just as Jesus says, look at those birds, look at those lilies. Fathers provide discipleship. Think of Proverbs 23, verse 26, and this is what we ought to be saying to our children, and this is what we ought to be remembering to say before family worship, or at least expressing. Proverbs 23, verse 26, My son, give me thine heart, and let thine eyes observe my ways. Richard Phillips draws that verse and points out in a chapter in his book, Masculine Mandate, that this is the first main part of fathering. He says the second part is also important, discipline. Think of Hebrews 12, quoting Proverbs 3. Be glad that you have a father in heaven that's disciplining you. Be glad for the difficult things that are happening to you. It shows you have God as your father, just as fathers in the world, human fathers, do this to their children if they love them. They discipline them. But I think what's really important to remember, really important to remember is this. Fathers provide all these things, but they must Always provide this with God our Father in providing for us and as our example. Fathers provide forgiveness. Think of the prodigal son. 
Luke chapter 15. I got to go back to my father. I've wasted all his inheritance. I've treated him as I wish he was dead so I could have his money. By the way, this is not the way to be raising our children to wait for us to die so they can have all our money. That is not providing for them. And I have met a few wealthy people who have not remembered their children in their wills because they don't trust them to use it for the Lord. And they don't want them to be spoiled. They need to learn how to do it for themselves. This does not say there's no place for that. We can find such things in the Proverbs. But the most important thing is that the child learns to appreciate our father for forgiveness. To be able to approach and be reconciled. The prodigal son runs to meet his father, asks to just be a servant. The father meets him along the way, runs out to meet him, puts a coat on him, puts a ring on him, kisses him, and throws a party. Fathers provide forgiveness with the example of God our Father. And all of that, I think we want to recognize within the context of a covenant legacy. And this gets us back to our verse this evening. Solomon is the one speaking in verse 1. Look with me there, Second Chronicles chapter 2, verse 1. And Solomon determined to build a house for the name of the Lord and a house for his kingdom. It's talking about building the temple. Solomon says, I'm going to build this temple for God. So that's the context when we get down to verse 7 and all these people with wisdom who are going to help him do it. You know, remember, we're in Exodus right now looking at the building of the tabernacle. And we saw Belial again today and Holiab's another one. Those particularly highlighted, among others, with wisdom, uh, this wisdom of the spirit to build and craft things carefully, organized, beautifully, well-made craftsmanship for the tabernacle. Well, now the more permanent temple David's desire is. And Solomon says, I'm going to do that. In verse 1, he says, I'm going to do that. Why is he going to do that? Why is this on his heart? Because of his father. David put it on his heart before his death and prepared him for it. 1 Kings 5, verse 5. And behold... I purpose to build an house unto the name of the Lord my God, as the Lord spake unto David my father, saying, Thy son, whom I will set upon thy throne in thy room, he shall build an house unto my name. David wanted to build it, but he wasn't allowed by God to build it because he was a man of war. Solomon is representing, uh, David is representing Christ as the conquering king. Solomon is representing Christ as the king of peace, this golden age that will be eternity when Christ returns and no more war on this earth. Here in our text, David set up the building ahead of time with wise workers already trained and ready to go. The last part of the verse, all of these wise men who can do all of these different things. Whom David, my father, did provide. And that's the verse, that's the part of the verse we're, we're looking at as the place to start tonight. Whom David, my father, did provide. Solomon didn't have to start from scratch. Solomon is building upon what David has set up for him. Whom David, my father, did provide. Notice the word provide. Fathers provide for their children. And notice, while the kingdom is there and the riches and all these things, Solomon has a lot of his riches because he asked for wisdom to rule the kingdom, and God gave him all the riches too. But of course he gets the kingdom, but more importantly, he's concerned about setting up Solomon to have the temple built for the house of God. David's particularly concerned to prepare his son to serve God, leading the people. He does all he can to set it up as much as he can before he dies. Solomon set to work the skilled men whom David had trained and set to work. Look with me back to 1 Chronicles. We'll come back here, but turn to 1 Chronicles chapter 22. So not too far back. Just a number of pages. 1 Chronicles chapter 2 verses 5, uh, excuse me, chapter 22 verses 5 through 15. 1 Chronicles chapter 22, verses 5 through 15. And David said, 
Solomon, my son, is young and tender, and the house that is to be builded for the Lord must be exceeding magnifical of fame and of glory throughout all countries. I will therefore now make preparation for it. So David prepared abundantly before his death. Now, do you see that? Before his death, might have been thinking about other things. It's kind of like, I think it's James Durham, uh, a book we reviewed recently. It's a book about church discipline. It's a very long treatise. It's called a, uh, something like a, a testament from a dying man to the Church of Scotland. His dying words was to write about how to take care of God's house also. David is going out of his way before his death to have everything prepared for the temple for his son. Verse 6, then he called for Solomon his son and charged him to build a house for the Lord God of Israel. So notice, he's preparing not only the preparation, but he's preparing Solomon to do this. And consider his duty to carry on from his father. Verse 7, And David said to Solomon, My son, as for me, it was in my mind to build a house unto the name of the Lord my God. But the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Thou hast shed blood abundantly, and hast made great wars. Thou shalt not build a house unto my name, because thou hast shed much blood upon the earth in my sight. Behold, a son shall be born to thee, who shall be a man of rest, and I will give him rest from all his enemies round about, for his name shall be Solomon, and I will give peace and quietness unto Israel in his days. He shall build a house for my name, and he shall be my son, and I will be his father, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom over Israel forever. Now, notice how God is speaking of being a father directly to Solomon. This is also uh, prophetic related to Jesus Christ in other scriptures. Verse 11, now, my son, the Lord be with thee and prosper thou and build the house of the Lord thy God as he has said of thee. Only the Lord give thee wisdom and understanding and give thee charge concerning Israel that thou mayest keep the law of the Lord thy God. Then shalt thou prosper if thou takest heed to fulfill the statutes and judgments which the Lord charged Moses concerning Israel. Be strong and of good courage. Dread not, nor be dismayed. Now, behold, in my trouble I have prepared for the house of the Lord an hundred thousand talents of gold and a thousand thousand talents of silver and of brass and iron without weight, for it is in abundance. Timber also and stone have I prepared, and thou mayest add thereunto. Uh, David is preparing in his will, you might say, to take care of the church. Not that his son's uninvolved, but he says, I'm providing these resources for the church, and I expect you to lead and coordinate them well. Verse 15, moreover, there are workmen with thee in abundance, hewers and workers of stone and timber, and all manner of cunning men for every manner of work, of gold, the silver, and the brass, and the iron. There is no number. Arise, therefore, and be doing, and the Lord be with thee. Notice. Those last few verses relates to what Solomon's saying in our text this evening. I've prepared everything you need. I got all the stuff. I even have all the workers ready to put the stuff together. I got it all ready for you, son. I, now I want to get you ready for it, to do the job in my absence. What a profound thing that this is what he's doing before death. Preparing his son to focus not so much on the kingdom, but on the house of God. Notice, related to what we're thinking about tonight, what it is to be a father, verses 5 and 14 especially, I have prepared. I have prepared. I've set it all in place. I've got it all ready. I have prepared. You might say, I have provided. David prepared Solomon to purpose to do the work, and he prepared all that was needed ahead of time for him to be able to do so smoothly. Stu Weber, in his book, Tender Warrior, writes this. To father, to father, thinking of it as a verb, to be a father, you could say, but to father, and he italicizes the word father, to father 
is to be the one who puts together the scope and sequence of life, to be the one who authors and creates the curriculum for the development of generations to come. That's what it is to be a father. That's what it is to father. Take care of your children. You prepare ahead for them and you particularly try to prepare them to be the future of the church. These other disclaimers and things I'm bringing up are not mutually exclusive. But the main goal of fatherhood is to prepare covenant children to serve as the next generation of the covenant after we're dead. And that they know to be training their children to do the same. Two more things I highlight. To be a father, again, is to provide himself. He says, I'll be a father to Solomon. I'll be a father. I am a father to the fatherless, the Psalms say. I, I will be a father. We've had that scripture come up earlier in such sermons. God makes him our adoptive father through Christ. What is all this other stuff if it's not to have him? He's our father. God gives us himself. He doesn't just give us life in us. He gives us a life with him. Fathers give themselves. You can't father by proxy. And fathers give spiritual upbringing. John 6 verse 32. My father giveth you the true bread from heaven. It's not just about putting food on the table. It's about putting the Bible on the table after you've eaten the food and having family worship. Otherwise the meal's incomplete. And the most important part of the meal isn't there. Fathers have to provide that. Which is why you might recall uh, the Church of Scotland, their ratification of the directory for uh, private family worship as a number of those documents with the confession of faith, larger sort of catechism, directory for public worship, form of Presbyterian church government. Before the smaller document on family worship, it says in the ratification of the document, fathers who regularly neglect family worship are to be disciplined over time. If they don't change and lead family worship, they are to be banned from the Lord's Supper because it is their duty to provide such for their family. And let me say, our new member tonight, that's one of the biggest things that my daughter loves about him. I never have had a Lord's Day when they're at my house for almost a year now where they haven't been outside or in uh, one of the rooms of the house uh, living room, whatever you, and uh, he's not leading her in a devotion, in Bible reading, and in singing of the Psalms. In fact, I usually recognize when it's time to get ready to go to church as I'm, you know, printing my sermon and calling others to wake up from a covenant nap, which, which is great. And I'm hoping with the change of my lifestyle, I'll be able to be one of those people soon. Um, but almost always, right at that time, I start to hear psalm singing from the backyard. That is providing. That's what needs to happen. That's our duty. And I know he takes it very seriously. My daughter testifies to this. Thus, earthly fathers, remember Ephesians 6 verse 4. And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Notice, don't provoke your children to wrath. Isn't the whole idea that you're harsh with them or, you know, being rude to them. Not that those things are acceptable, but what is, what is the opposite of that? Provoke not your children to wrath. Don't have them be angry with you because you neglect them. You take them to church and when you go home, it's not like you go to church. Fathers especially, bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. It's your job. It's not Sunday school's job. It's not a Christian school's job. It's your job. Remember going back to Deuteronomy. Not that some of these resources aren't beneficial ways to be involved, but it's ultimately our job. 
Which is why, and this is not to speak poorly of Christian schools, but early in my life as a young Christian, observing things in a church back in New York before I knew anyone, I happened to know I was impressed with these children who were raised by their parents more directly. And I was involved in the youth group. And something that struck me was the children who went to the Christian school that the church supported. We were Dutch Reformed after all. They didn't strike me as any different than the public school children. And that's not a compliment. It's a concern. Because I think some of us think we send our children to be parented by others. Fathers especially. You have to sacrifice what you choose to do in your life to have time to raise your children in the Lord, to provide Jesus to them through you, through family worship. Or they'll resent you and you'll provoke them to wrath. And this all involves sacrifice. Fathers own this. It all involves sacrifice. Welcome to the job. It involves sacrifice for the father to send his son to die for you. Remember Romans 8 says that God made you his children by adoption in Christ. And so this is what it means to have God for your father. All that we've looked at tonight. These are elements and aspects of what it means that you have God Almighty as your Father in covenant. And this is what it means for you to be a good father to your covenant children. Looking at some of these good examples like David's to Solomon, but especially God our Father to us. Such is what was prophesied with the coming of Jesus Christ in Malachi 4.6. Interesting, it was on a Father's Day card one of you gave to me today. As it was fulfilled and quoted in Luke 1.17. And how it would look in the New Testament church. When Jesus Christ comes, here's how it's especially going to look in the New Testament church. Malachi 4.6, quoted in Luke 1.17. And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children. And the heart of the children... To their fathers. And of course, beloved, it has to be in that order. It's going to happen. Speaking of that text, R. Kent Hughes, in his book, Disciplines of a Godly Man, on his chapter entitled, Disciplines of Fatherhood, writes this. When a man truly gives his heart to Christ, it is turned toward his children. And as we're studying tonight, what that will look like in all these different ways, especially spiritually, is to provide for them. To have a heart to provide for them. With God as your father, Jesus says this in Matthew 6, verses 7 to 9. But when ye pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. Be not ye therefore like unto them, for your father knoweth what things ye have need of before ye ask him. After this manner, therefore, pray ye, our Father, which is in heaven. And think about all that we're being reminded of tonight. When you call on God as your Father, and we do together, our Father as brethren in Christ, what it means. And again, go back to the catechism to, to review what it means. Jesus says to you, with God as your father, Matthew 7, verses 7 to 11, ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh, receiveth. And he that seeketh, findeth. And to him that knocketh, it shall be opened. Or what man is there of you? Whom, if his son ask bread, will give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he give him a serpent? That is, fathers provide for their children, generally. 
at least the basics of life. If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your Father, which is in heaven, give good things to them that ask him? Just remember, Jesus qualifies in other scriptures what you are to ask for. And he particularly encourages this, I believe, in the Gospel of Luke. Ask for more of the Holy Spirit. Father will love to give you more of that. And remember the fruits of the Spirit in Galatians 5. You take a look at those fruits, why wouldn't we be asking more? He's going to answer and give us that. Our chief end is to glorify our Father in heaven. And to be good fathers to our children on earth, raising them as citizens of the kingdom of heaven. For them to remember fondly after we're gone. Proverbs 17 verse 6 says in part, the glory of children are their fathers. I hope to earn that if it isn't inscribed as if it could be on my tombstone. It will be by providing for them in the main things of life. And there's a lot of things I can't provide for my children. I believe it was Martin Luther who said, I can't provide for you a lot of, a lot of things, but I can, give you, uh, I can give you God. And if it wasn't him, I think someone else says, I can give you my name, my good name. I can give you the name Christian. Remember Psalm 68 verse 5 and Psalm 10:14 say that God is a father to the fatherless. And of course that's ultimately true for all of us. Remember that and think about this, Stu Weber's grandfather, Stu Weber, again the book Tender Warrior. I never met him. He says you've never met this man and neither did I. Never met him. But he, he was an orphan. He didn't know his father or his mother. But he became a Christian. And Stu Weber writes this. He never knew his own father. But he pursued the ultimate father. Reading wasn't easy for him. But he did it. Of all the books in my library today, my favorite is one of his. A worn, broken, old copy of Matthew Henry's commentary on the New Testament. You can still find traces of his fingerprints there from the coal dust on his hands. My grandfather pursued the father. His son, Byron, did too. So did the grandchildren and the great-grandchildren. He left us quite a heritage. He changed his world. But when we... Don't pass over too quickly the coal dust reference on his fingers. I don't imagine he left them many worldly goods. Nobody really cares or remembers that in the end. And if they do, all they do is fight over it. And again, it's not mutually exclusive, but I want to emphasize the main thing we're to provide as fathers. He goes on to write this. No, you've never met William Joseph Weber, his grandfather. He never met him either. But there is a strong possibility he is affecting you now as you turn the pages of this book. That book was given to me early in my young days of manhood and I needed it. And I've brought it a lot to other men. And I've quoted it before and I'm quoting it to you here tonight. And I've been leading my son through this book, my eldest son, although uh, many uh, stops along the way. And I'm hoping to get back to it more frequently now as I'm going to have more time to give myself to him as his father. And all my other sons along the way. And we'll remember William Joseph Weber and the kind of father he was. 
That's the same possibility, men, that you and I have as Christian fathers, physically and spiritually. And the same responsibility and the same influence. Stu Weber also writes this. Like no other person, a father possesses a special power to mold another's life, shape it, give it form. Like God our Father. So be so thankful for Him, God our Father. And be thankful for your fathers especially those in the Lord seeking to raise you in the Lord by their sacrifice to do so with all kinds of pressures from other fathers in the world to do otherwise. And men reflect such Christian fathering as Christ's father and our father in him recognizing the main thing of being a dad the main thing of being a father is to provide for our children what is a what is a father a father is a provider Simply put, in every area of life for our children, every area of life, until they become fathers. And even then, fathers provide for their children. Take pride in it. Take pride in it. Let that be your identity. Let that be who you are, a provider. Don't worry about whatever toys you can't have or whatever certain things you can't do while you are providing for your children, especially in their early days. Fathers provide for their children. Happy Father's Day. Let us pray. Lord God in heaven, you are our father through our adoption by you in Jesus Christ. And we acknowledge and recognize and thank you how you provide for us in every way, all the time. Help us to never not stop to pause and say thank you, especially with our children as example. To pause and together thank our Heavenly Father for providing. We thank you how you have provided for us this week with many busy things. We thank you have provided for some of us in special ways and even through others to support one another. We thank you how you have provided for us an abundant, joyful life to live here. And Lord, how you have provided eternal life. And Jesus is preparing a place for us in his Father's house where we will enjoy it forever. Lord, we do thank you that we lack nothing. And ask that you bless our men to reflect you and the good examples of fathering in the scriptures. Let us be students. Let us be uh, majors. Let us work on master's degrees of fatherhood. Especially from the scriptures. And with you as our father and our example. And we close praying as Jesus Christ taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory.